How do I know what I desire? I have observed that the selection of food is often influenced by the mood of the person ordering. I'm in a dreadful mood. Get me something appropriate. When Counselor Troy is unhappy, she usually eats something chocolate. Chocolate. Hmm. A chocolate sundae, for example. Although I do not speak from personal experience, I have seen it have a profound psychological impact. I'll have ten chocolate sundaes. Ten? I've never seen anyone eat ten chocolate sundaes. I'm in a really bad mood. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Dessert Menu, a supplement podcast to our main show, the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. I am your host, Miles P. McLaughlin. Scott and I couldn't record together this week with him being on vacation last week in my work schedule, so we're giving you a dessert menu for this week. Hope that's okay. Well, it's hard to believe that in just over a week, Scott and I will be at Shore Leave Convention, and we'll hopefully meet the man who inspired me with the idea of the dessert menu in the first place, Q himself, Mr. John Delancey. So unlike Q, who needed 10 hot fudge Sundays to cure his depression, I hope you, our dear listener, are doing well and having a great summer. And maybe we'll meet you at some, meet some of you at Shorely this year. So, this is what I've been enjoying sci-fi as of late. Most of you know, within the last couple months, I started watching the Stargate uh, uh, show, um, Stargate SG-1, from, from the very beginning. And I've been enjoying it immensely. I'm now in a season four. I'm really hoping to meet Christopher Judge, the man who brought uh, the Teal character to life at Shirley, and hopefully we'll be able to interview him, as well as Cliff Simon, who played Bale. I also finished a SG-1 novel recently, and, and I've started reading a, a Star Trek novel, the new one of the Vanguard series, Declassified. And I'm also watching Falling Skies, which I'm really liking, too. So I don't have any promos to play, but I wanted to give a shout-out to, to a couple podcasts I'm listening to, and ones I think you'll enjoy. I want to talk about DVD Geeks. It's hosted by John Champion and Mary the Televixen. Some of you listeners who have been with us for a while know we've had Mary on a few, a few times, and I'd love to have her on again. She's just a great host. She's very articulate. She really knows her stuff, and she's not that hard on the eye either. So they're not strictly a sci-fi podcast. However, um, both of them are um, huge sci-fi fans, and whenever there is something sci-fi related, um, whether DVDs or Blu-rays they're talking about, they geek out, which is really cool. So this is what they do. They'll critique the material that they're given to look at and then talk about the special features. They'll tell you, the listener, whether this DVD or Blu-ray is something worth having in your collection, maybe worth just renting, or maybe just skipping altogether. Um, and John Champion, he's, he's a good guy too. Um, I say I have a face for radio. This man has a voice for radio. Someday somebody in Hollywood is going to snatch him up and just use him for a voice talent. The man has just been blessed with a great voice. So check out DVD Geeks. And then there's Life After Trek, our friends uh, Charity and uh, Chris Wood from Subspace Comms. Uh, they run that awesome, great uh, Star Trek news site. They recently had two podcasts where they featured a roundtable of uh, people talking about their experience with Trek. And I almost had the experience to be with them, but my work schedule didn't allow for it. Uh, the work schedule, he got it. So they, they had on Dayton Ward, Larry Nemechek, Jared Formey, people we've had on our show before, uh, as well as Damon Shaw, who uh, has the uh, uh, Geek Fights podcast. 
And uh, they just had a roundtable talking about all about Star Trek, what, what got them started, talk about what they thought of all the shows, the movies. And um, it's a lot of material, but it, it, it's a good discussion, and uh, it's worth checking out. So Brent Spiner wants you to help him get a cast in the new Star Trek movie. Brent Spiner, who played the beloved android Lieutenant Commander Data on seven seasons of Star Trek The Next Generation and four subsequent films, needs your help. He wants you to get him cast in J.J. Abrams' next Star Trek sequel. But as Data or someone else, during a very long web chat, it's over an hour, but one never gets bored when Brent Spiner is talking, back on Monday, in order to promote his new web series called uh, Fresh Hell, Spiner took him time to chat about all things Star Trek and also took time to do a bit of lobbying to get himself cast in the next Star Trek film. Yesterday, I'm sorry, the Trek, Mo- Trek, Trek movie reported on the most interesting tidbits coming out of this, including whether or not the actor will play Data again, whom he thinks he should play uh, the character in a hypothetical next-gen reboot and remake. We're all for that, but minus the lens flares, please. His suggestions included Thor's Tama Hiddleston, who played Loki. Now, he could be a good choice. And Justin Bieber. Now, this is Spiner's typical brand of humor at play here with uh, the Bieber thing, obviously. But Hiddleston would be awesome. This is when Spiner jumped to the self-lobbying wagon. I'm thinking more about this new, next Star Trek movie and more about who I can be in it. I did this character Arx in, in Star Trek Enterprise, not to be confused with Dr. Sun in TNG, that it was his predecessor. I would like to, I would like to start a campaign maybe right here tonight. It's called BBS, Bring Back Soon. And I want you to flood J.J. Abrams' offices with BBS, Bring Back Soon. When asked whether or not the actor could play in date again, the Spiner said, I don't think that could happen. Look at me. I'm a shockingly older gentleman. I don't see that I could wear the, the makeup anymore. I think that would look really stupid. I love the character. I wish I started much younger, but I was already in my mid-60s when I started. That was a joke. He was probably in his early 30s when he did that. I just don't think I could get away with it. Yeah, you could CGI it, but why would not just CGI the whole character and forget about me? So no data, but getting the arc soon on board the Enterprise again with a new cast and crew is not impossible. And with William Shatner recently confirming he won't be on board the next Star Trek sequel, well, we'll see about that. Spiner's involvement in this film would certainly thrill many Trek fans. So what do you think? Will you be on board uh, Brent Spiner's uh, Bring Back Spider campaign? And do you think the character would, could appear in any capacity in the next Trek film? I have some mixed feelings about this. As much as I would love to see Brent Spiner in a new Star Trek movie, I wonder if for the, the, these new Star Trek movies, if we should just let, forget about the cameos and from now on just uh, let them go their own way. But uh, what do you think? Next bit of news, angry fans set to protest the DC reboot in, in San Diego Comic-Con. Now, I, unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to make a Comic-Con this year. One of these days before I'm dead, I'd love to go. But uh, we announced a couple weeks ago that, um, I think it was on our Facebook page, that they were not going to, um, they, that they were going to do a reboot of, of basically all the uh, DC comic book uh, superheroes. We all knew that when DC announced they were going to go back to number one on 52 at their comics this fall, that would change the meme that was skepticism and anger from core fans. A little less anticipated is the march against the relaunch that is apparently happening in San Diego Comic-Con this year. Really? Before we go any further, let's hear straight from the horse's mouth on why a protest is something that is uh, hundreds of people are willing to take part in. Here's the message directly from Facebook page. 
are you utterly baffled, disappointed, just angry to see how DC run, ruins your favorite character's design and wipes decades of comic history out of mainstream universe? Well, you're not alone. And why not make some noise in the biggest pop culture event this year, where creators, artists, and writers appear in person, show them how fans, the fans of classic characters, uh, nevertheless slightly changing designs, the characters' history and personality really feel about it. If you're wondering what exactly this showing of angry comic book aficionados might accomplish, you're not alone. At this point, DC is so far along in producing their new line of 52 books that there's no way for them to outright cancel it. At best, writers and editors will get the message that they need. Be very careful with their established history. What they alter and establish history. Of course, it's just likely that DC will simply see this as a further proof there are fans that need to get out more. How about you? Are you one of those hundreds of people planning to protest? Would you rather just sit back and watch the show? Now, I want to be somewhat sympathetic to these people who want to protest. Well, somebody tampers with one of my franchises. I can get a little emotional and heated about it. But um, I think wonder if the reboot thing with the DC combo series is a good thing. Um, now, let's face it. I mean, they have, in a sense, been reinvented in a few times. I mean, most of our DC uh, heroes got their start back in the 30s. And if they didn't do any kind of reboot before then, they would be like 80-some years old or whatever. So even older. So I'm, I'm not too sure I'm, you know, the reboot's a bad thing. It depends on how much they uh, deviate from the original. Um, and, 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 um, th- this character is how will still be the character we, we, we've grown to know and love and appreciate. So we'll have to wait and see. Our last bit of news, uh, I saw this article on Blaster, 18 hard rocking songs that killed in a sci-fi movie soundtrack. Um, I've already posted this on our Facebook page, so you could look at the whole article. I'm going to read just a couple. When John Williams does a hell of a job in the orchestra pit, nothing gets our blood pumping during the intense space battle. Zombie killing spree or alien encounter like our favorite asking tune straight from the jukebox. From oldies to metal to hip-hop, these badass songs from our favorite films make memorable moments just like, well, rock. Check out some of our favorite hard-rocking tunes on the big screen. Embedded when possible, link to and not. So they actually have the video of when this song was playing and what was happening. First on the list is Star Trek Sabotage Now, I, I, by the Beastie Boys. Now, I'm not a Beastie Boys fan, but i got to say, I think this song was... Very apropos for this scene. J.J. Abrams' 2009 reboot had a number of memorable scenes, but thanks to the Beastie Boys, one particular always seems to stand out. I remember the collective gasp that went up in the theater as everybody realized what they were hearing. A second later, though, everyone was enjoying it too much to give it any real thought. The last time James T. Kirk and the Beastie Boys were, were this close to one another was probably during a featured Rollin marathon. I think it was a good choice for that one scene. Uh, Terminator Judgment Day... Uh, Bad to the Bone by George Thorogood and the Destroyers. Everybody remembers the biker bar scene from from T2. And sure, T800 looks pretty tough after beating the hell out of some bikers, barring the keys to a motorcycle and all the black leather outerwear he he carried, and walking out of the place like nothing much had happened. But when we heard Bad to the Bone start up, that's when we knew things were going to get started. Um, Can't agree more. This song, just, you know, love that song, and it really um, made made that scene better. If we go back uh, 20 years, uh, for the first Batman film, uh, 89, uh, Party Man by Prince. It was late 80s, Jack Nicholson was the most celebrated Joker since Cesar Romero, and the world rocked by the sounds of a guy who wasn't yet known by an unpronounceable syllable. 
the Joker and his crew have been murdered in mayhem. Um, but they also had some goofy dance moves, pur- purple bomber jackets, and a boombox with Prince tape in it. I guess we knew that deep down Batman's uh, artistically inclined homicidal arch enemy was just trying to have some fun. And, uh, yep, that, that was a good song to that, uh, that scene. That, that takes me way back. I'll read a couple more here. We've also got Flash Gordon, uh, football fight by Queen. Flash Gordon is more than a little, shall we say, campy, and Queen's a rock opera-esque musical accompaniment certainly doesn't bring it down to earth. But let's face it, when Queen scores your movie, you've got instant cool rock cred. Not to mention, at the time, Queen was in the first bands to score the entire film. And besides uh, Prince uh, Voltan and the Hawkman, their soundtrack is one of the most universally liked things about Flash Gordon. I, I gotta confess, I do like the, uh, uh, the, the soundtrack for uh, Flash Gordon. Now, next we have is The Watchmen. Now, if you've been listening to our show for any length of time, you know Scott and I and others, we've had mixed feelings about The Watchmen. But uh, the choice of music was not one of them. Uh, I thought the choice of music for Watchmen was excellent. It was definitely a good nostalgia trip for me. Uh, so The Watchmen um, heavily relied on the music of Bob Dylan. Its use of the times are changing in the uh, opening credits was a highlight of the film. And a scene in which the uh, Night Owl and a Rorschach crash land in the Antarctic is said to another Dylan classic. And also at Rock Mainstay, Jimi Hendrix's rendition of All Along the Watchtower. Uh, that song was used uh, extensively in Battlestar Galactica also. And the last on I'll read is Star Trek First Contact, Magic Carpet Ride by Steppenwolf. What's one of the benefits to being lured back in time by Bork intent on erasing one of humanity's greatest achievements? Classic rock. Zephyr Cochran's Warp Flight was a pivotal moment, yada yada, but does that liftoff uh, mixtape uh, deserve its place in history? By the way, if Zephyr Cochran was rocking to some Steppenwolf in 2063, would the almost 100-year-old song been classical music rather than classic rock? Who knows and who cares? What matters is uh, that song just um, helps make the scene. Well, I hope you uh, enjoyed uh, hearing some news going on in sci-fi. Um, hope we'll see some of you at Shore Leave next week. If you have any questions uh, for some of the guests we're going to be interviewing, um, well, we hope we'll be interviewing, um, but uh, John Delancey is going to be there, Christopher Judge, uh, Sally Kellerman, um, uh, and others. Um, um, look at the guest list. We'll, we'll mention this again um, on, on our Facebook page. But if you have questions you'd like to ask our guests, uh, drop us a line, and uh, we'll try to get those questions in for you. So we hope you'll tune to the Sci-Fi Dinner podcast and our list of feedback show next week. Also, we'd love to hear your feedback and interaction. You may leave a message on our voicemail, which is 188-508-4343. You can also email us at the Sci-Fi Diner podcast at gmail.com, where you can leave us a written message or send us one uh, via MP3. If you haven't already, please join our Facebook page. We have a very thriving discussion going there. You can follow us at Twitter at Sci-Fi Diner Podcast at Twitter.com. Scott and I also have our own Twitters. Scott is a Herzog at Twitter.com, and mine is Son of Wharf at Twitter.com. Well, it's time to uh, clean the tables off and turn off lights, uh, and it's time to close the diner. So until next time, good night and good luck.
Wow, 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 wow.